We just wanted to go out there and put some drives together. They kind of did a little different of what we thought they were going to do on defense, and we just kind of adjusted accordingly. They kind of went post high and played some man and just wanted to see our guys make some plays. They did. That was Josh Allen after last night's preseason win over the Colts. While the victory was important, more important was the fact that the Bills escaped relatively healthy after four quarters of action. You can read up on the latest minor injury updates from head coach Sean McDermott on WGR550.com. The Bills also made a minor trade just moments ago, sending defensive end Eli Harrell to the Eagles for tackle Ryan Bates. As for the preseason action tonight around the league, it is a much shorter schedule on this Friday. The Steelers host the Buccaneers at 7.30 and the Vikings visit the Saints at 8 o'clock. Around the NFL, George Bremer of the Herald Bulletin reports the Colts remain optimistic Andrew Luck will be ready for week one. A couple of reports on Browns receiver Antonio Callaway. The first one is that he has been suspended four games for violating the league's substance abuse policy. And the second report to come in this afternoon is that Callaway is also dealing with a high ankle sprain. He missed practice today for Cleveland. And the latest on today's Antonio Brown saga from ESPN's Adam Schefter reports Brown told Raiders team officials that unless he gets to wear his old helmet, he will not play football again. Also, according to Schefter, Brown had a two-hour phone call with league officials today arguing why he should be allowed to wear his old helmet. To the Major League scoreboard in a couple of moments, the Jays host the Yankees at 7.07, while 7.10 sees the Red Sox host the Angels and the Nationals visit the Mets. And the Indians host the Twins at 8:10. And in the IL, the Bisons visit the Columbus Clippers for a 7:15 first pitch. Pre-game is underway, and you can hear the game as usual on ESPN 15:20. The finalists are in for Hamburg Overhead Doors Ugliest Garage Door Contest. See for yourself and cast your vote for the worst one by August 18th at WGR550.com or text DOOR, that's D-O-O-R, to 550-550 to get a link to vote sent right to your phone. Message and data rates may apply. For WGR, I'm Kyle Pal. Also, the final reminder here that don't forget to smoke them if you got them because Blended, Buffalo's premier cigar event, is tomorrow, August 10th at Buffalo Riverworks. Enjoy a full lunch, sip on fine bourbons, and get expert advice on cigar blending, cutting, pairings, and more. Rob Ray will be there as well, so join us tomorrow, August 10th at Blended, Buffalo's premier cigar event. Find those last-minute tickets and more details at WGR550.com. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros, regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. We are bringing you into the weekend here on the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here for the next couple of hours here on WGR. A lot of good sound to get to tonight. Greg Cosell in particular. Some recapping of the preseason opener against the Colts yesterday. And this Antonio Brown thing. I mean, how can we not lead off of that? I mean, I gotta. I gotta. If you want to get your thoughts in any time tonight, you can do that at 803-0550. Or I'm always reading the text line, always on Twitter, at SneakyJoeWGR. Or on the text line, at 550-550. So... Well, let's just get right to it. Antonio Brown is going to retire? Is that the story? So if you just missed it in sports, Kyle had it, that Adam Schefter is reporting 
that Antonio Brown, if he doesn't get the helmet he wants, which is now considered illegal in the NFL after a agreement between the NFLPA and the NFL in April, his helmet's now illegal, and he can't wear it, and he's threatening to quit over it. So, bunch of things here. One, first first uh, reaction, obviously, is, wow, the Bills almost traded for this guy. Like, they came that close to doing it. If Brown wanted to come here, it probably gets done. That's all that was standing in the way of him and being a Buffalo Bill today, was his desire to be here. And, man, the Bills may have dodged a big bullet by him not being here right now. The report from John Clayton was that the Bills are willing to swap first-round picks to get him. So essentially, if he wasn't going to get the helmet he wants, and I can't see a scenario where he gets it, maybe he, he the most likely scenario here is what? Well, what's the, what are the odds on what happens here? Does he actually quit football? Like, I wouldn't bet on that. Maybe he does. It's definitely possible. But I think he eventually caves, and maybe this is a whole ploy to miss training camp. Like, really? That might be it? Maybe he just doesn't want to go to camp, and this is his excuse for it. So, that could be it. I can't imagine, like I said, though, that the NFL caves on this, and the NFLPA, whatever their agreement is, and they make an exception. I, I, I don't know. The whole point of the rule is to weed out the final few players in the league that are using the old school helmet. So to make an exception for Brown, well, then wouldn't Brady want an exception? Roethlisberger, like all these other guys who were using old school helmets. So hard knocks better have this stuff. I'm hoping they're gonna. That's the whole point of the show, isn't it? To catch the drama that is training camp in the NFL. And there is not a place in the NFL right now that is more dramatic than Oakland. With John Gruden and Mike Mayock and Richie Incognito and all of this Antonio Brown stuff with his helmet that he doesn't want to wear and his frozen feet. He does not... Maybe he just doesn't want to play at all. But to me, I'd have to think at the end of the day, even if he's nuts, even if he's crazy, even if he has no idea what he's doing, or if he's just being childish, whatever it is, money talks. And he wasn't just traded away out of Pittsburgh. He didn't just get what he wanted on that front. He got a monster extension. He got a giant contract. So, I would anticipate he is going to play football this year. So, if you're a fantasy owner out there, and you've got Antonio Brown and maybe a keeper league, or maybe you already drafted, maybe you drafted yesterday, and you drafted Antonio Brown in the first round, that would be a tough place to be in. But I would want to give you some caution here to not overreact and think that it's just over. I don't think he's going to tell him he wants, but I don't think this dude's quitting football. He's got a lot of mo- he's got a lot of gas left in the tank. He's got a lot of money that he can still earn and you know, these guys careers are short enough. If there's anybody in his life, I would have to think, financial advisor, agent, family that knows really what they're doing. They'd advise him, "Yo, finish it out. It's only a helmet." Get your money. Your career is short enough. You got to plan for however many years of life afterwards. Going mostly on the money you earned in this 10 years. So do it for another do it for another 3 or 4. Make your money. 
And I, I can't imagine that he's not going to play football this year for the Raiders. I, just, I can't I can't imagine it. Even if he's not going to, even if he's going to sit out and pout of training camp and preseason here because of his helmet. I just don't, I can't see it happening. And the other stuff that the Mike, if you missed it, by the way, if you go on Twitter, at Mike Silver, NFL reporter, he has a 20-tweet thread on the stuff going on with Antonio Brown. It's not all helmet-related. Like, there is some stuff going on with his teammates not knowing what's going on and thinking he might be... He might be a little nuts. And there's also stuff about him being in meetings and not really paying attention and, you know, going on his Instagram and strolling through his bank accounts while he's in team meetings. At the end of the day, I'm thinking that's not something I think that's – I would think that's pretty common around the league. Maybe not common, but people would do it, I think. Um, It's like school, right? Think back at high school. There were always somebody. There was always somebody in class that was just on their phone the whole time, sne- sneaking their way into that. Sometimes it was me, but I don't think he's retiring over it. But I will say this: even though I loved the idea of him, and I wished at the time the Bills would get it done, how can you not look back right now and just be so happy that they didn't? Because all. All the stuff they would have having to given up, the money, the draft pick compensation. You wouldn't have had Oliver right now. I could tell you that if the if the reported deal was what it was. And then he'd be threatening to quit. <laughs> we said Vontae Davis last year. Like I know this fan base is not going to put up with that. So this place would be an inferno right now if that was going on here, and I'm glad that it's not. The only last thing I would, would want to mention on that is even though I will still, even though this all the stuff is happening with Brown, I would still want to give the Bills credit for trying that, for trying to trade for him. They recognized that they don't have a number one wide receiver. They recognized that his talent level is off the charts and that he would suffice that number one wide receiver position, and they went for it. And I want to give them props for that. And I would want to think, even though they didn't really chase Beckham when he was available. And like that that one was always confusing to me. There was a report out there from a couple months ago that when Beckham was being talked about being traded, Gettleman called the Bills and asked if they wanted him. And the Bills said they weren't interested. Even though they had gone after Antonio Brown. That one's a little bit of a head head scratcher for me. But going after Brown would give me optimism that if another star receiver becomes available in the next year or two... I don't really have a name for you here. Julio Jones is still in a contract dispute. He's probably bad for that. Amari Cooper in Dallas doesn't have a contract. I don't really know who to throw out there. But I would be optimistic that if a number one, a true number one receiver comes available, that the Bills should be on a list of teams that could do it. Because they almost did it with this guy. Anyways. With the team itself, they played last night, the preseason opener. There's a lot of good audio from last night's postgame. You can catch that on demand at WGR550.com. Um, Christian Wade, I mean, how can you not think that was the one of the best moments in Bill's preseason history? Jeremy, on the morning show yesterday, his topic was, or his question was on Twitter at least, what's your number one Bill's preseason memory? And like Bulldog, the first thing I thought of was Matt Sims, of all people, throwing the ball over his head backwards 30 yards into his own backfield. Just a comical, unbelievable play that you can't imagine anyone would have the gall to do. And he did it. He threw the ball backwards. That happened. Now, yesterday, 
with Christian Wade, it gives you a couple of things. It's a big play. It's the preseason opener. It's a home game. And the who the guy is makes it. And that's why I that shoots right to the top of the list for me. The Christian Wade touchdown from last night shoots to the top of the list for me for like the greatest preseason moment for Bill's history that I can think of. You need a little bit of novelty to it. And you got that. A former rugby player who, by the way, is risking like a very star-studded rugby career in Europe to try and play a completely different sport. That takes guts in the first place. So he's doing that. He's sacrificing a little bit of money. Unless he makes the team, then he would obviously, you know, he'd probably be making he would be making more here than he would over there. But practice squad, he wouldn't be making the same. So he's trying that. He's risking a bit of money. He's coming to a new country, a new culture. Knew everything. It's such a great story. And the story's great. Look at the run. It's not a fluke. It's not like he scored a one-yard touchdown. This isn't Kyle Williams on the goal line. I don't want to bash that against Miami because that was awesome. But this guy has some real talent there. Did you see how fast he was moving? He was. He hit the second level. And that safety, number 36 for the Colts, didn't know what hit him. He clearly didn't anticipate that a guy in the fourth quarter of a preseason game had that type of speed. Because he did. He turned on the Jets and he was gone. That safety had no shot. A safety, by the way. Not a defensive lineman, not a linebacker. He made a safety look slow on that play. So there's some real speed you're working with there. You can tell he's got a natural ability just from the one run on where to go to the open field. He made a perfect cut. He goes up the middle. A lot of running backs wouldn't have done that. Trent Richardson always comes to mind. There's so much film on Trent Richardson with the Browns and in the NFL. Just never taking the open hole. Just not even seeing it. And give Wade a little credit. He saw the open hole. He had the talent to hit it, but he saw it. So there is some instinctual stuff going on, I think, in his mind with the game right now. Do I expect him to make the active roster? Of course not. Do I expect him to make any sort of difference this year? Of course not. But he is just further evidence. And this will circle back around to the whole running back conversation with LaShawn McCoy getting paid big money with drafting Spiller in the first round, drafting Lynch in the first round, drafting McGahee in the first round, trading for McCoy in the first place. For a decade, the Bills have been a team, more than a decade, they've been a team that invests big in running back. They always want to have a good running back, and they invest big in it. You've got one example of a guy coming out of nowhere, a third, a Division three college in Fred Jackson, who was great, very good for years. Christian Wade, I mean, doesn't it just make you think, wow, you really can find running backs anywhere. This guy was playing in like Wales or Scotland, wherever they're playing these rugby games, in Europe. And he just comes over here. The first football game of his life. He's practiced, I know. But not even like pickup or anything. This guy, I, me, I had played more football games in my life than, than Christian Wade yesterday. By a lot. First touch, and he takes it to the house. Doesn't it just make you think a little bit? Well, you really can find running backs anywhere. This guy was in Europe. And he just comes over and look at this. He's got speed. He's got some good instinctual knowledge. And 
he took to the house. And there's reason to believe that, hey, you give him a year of development on a practice squad, he gets more familiar with the game, he gets more work with a couple of veterans, or maybe even one veteran, whoever he's got. It could be Frank Gore, it could be Sean McCoy working with him, a running backs coach. That this guy could be something. And you got him from nowhere. An international allocation program is where he came from. Now, we had one person actually just texted in. Jeff is asking about him being a returner, like a kick returner and a punt returner. And I can see why you would think that. I actually kind of thought the same thing when I was watching that highlight on replay. Is you look at him and you think, that's not going to happen every time for him. Running back's a little tough when it comes to figuring out the game as opposed to a returner. Returner, you're just trying to get as far as you can. You're not really worrying about gaps. You're just you're finding the open space and you're hitting it. But I think at this point in time, I would think they're not going to throw that on his plate. He's already trying to learn the game itself and running back that I don't think they would throw that on his plate. But I think it's a good idea for the future. There's certainly enough speed there and there's enough athleticism there where that could be a guy that makes the team in the future as like a special team running back guy. That maybe returns kicks. And it's just further evidence you can find a running back anywhere. Speaking of running back, how about Devin Singletary last night? He was great. He looked great. His numbers weren't super, like, they weren't off the charts or anything. But he was very good last night. And he showed the capabilities that and the, and the talent that got him drafted where he got drafted. I can kind of see why he fell to the third round. He does not have breakaway speed. I even saw that last night. He makes a great run on a third and one. He finds the open hole that actually, by the way, was not open. You watch it in slow motion. Cover one on Twitter uh, went through it. The hole's not open, but he anticipates that it's about to open. So that's where he goes. So he has that anticipation. All right. He has the shiftiness to fit in that hole, the contact balance to not go down when he's hit trying to make it through that hole. Then the great spin move on that linebacker just embarrasses 57 of the Colts. But what happens right after that? He doesn't have the speed to hit the home run. run. He's not, he doesn't have the speed to take it to the house. Right there. The acceleration. The, 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 the quick burst that can get you to quick speed like that. Now he does have a burst, but it's not like that. It's not you know, Alvin Kamara for the, for, the, for the Saints. He reminds me more of Devontae Freeman in Atlanta who is a very good running back, a very shifty running back. He'll make you miss in open space, but he's not always going to take it to the house. And I think that might be what we got in Singletary. So all that being said, like I'm not criticizing for not being able to turn that run into a 50-yard run. I mean, he turned a nothing play in, in a third and one into an eight-yard gain. So I'm still optimistic after last night for sure. More so that this guy is capable in year one, of at some point being their starting running back. If you had to have him be the featured guy, most of the time a third-round pick, a third-round rookie even, is going to be able to hold his own. But this guy might have some real special talent that I think could continue to pressure the Bills into moving on from one of their veteran running backs. I would have to think after one game, TJ Yeldon would be the guy behind the eight ball. Just the fact that he fumbled. He had problems with fumbling in Jacksonville. His first drive for the Bills in a preseason game, and he fumbles. So that's not a good sign. Um, he did catch a nice pass. He did show some some good instincts on that one. But Yeldon maybe a little bit behind the eight ball here. 
McCoy didn't play, obviously. Gore, I want to get into Gore a little bit, too, and what the Bills did with him. How they operated when he was in the game. How they operated when Allen and all the starters were in the game. So I'll transition to that a little bit. And really what I want to know from everybody is, if the Bills are going to be this gunslinger offense, like they kind of showed to be last night with the starters, a full drive of all pass plays. 11 of 18 snaps for Josh Allen were throws. And I think two others, one was a sack and one was a a scramble. So 13 of 18 plays, I think, were called pass plays. How many people out there really, truly want that? Because I want it, and I know some people want it, but how many really do? Because if the Bills are truly going to finally move away from the blue-collar mentality that they've been stuck in for 20 years, is is that what fans really want? For me, it absolutely is. I'll kind of divulge and get into more how they looked last night when they were running that, you know, that pass-happy offense, and I'm hoping that it continues. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. Give me your calls at 803-0550. We'll get you on right after the break, and if you're uh, on hold, stay there. It's the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. try to keep it under control. So you know, I, I look for traits. I look for why guys play well. I think coaches are more interested in these preseason games and evaluating individual players. Obviously, they're playing their schemes and their techniques that they've been teaching, but they're not hardcore game planning against an opponent per se. So they're really looking at individual players. Uh, that, to me, is the fun of it. You know, obviously, I focus a lot on quarterbacks, but uh, you know, that's what I think the preseason is for, evaluating players. Greg Cosell from NFL Matchup on ESPN and also NFL Films with One Bills Live earlier today. Stay tuned. We will get to him at some point tonight. Because, as always, some good film analysis from him. Some good, honest film analysis. We had a film guy today and we had a analytics guy today. Aaron Schatz on the afternoon show. Greg Cosell on One Bills Live. Both of those are on demand at WGR550.com and the radio Dot com app. I I don't disagree with him there. Like he's he's making a point about the fact that you know you, I, I see this a lot. Like some people do like the preseason. Joe Goodberry, who covers the Bengals, lives around here. Like I I saw him tweet this last night. Like he loves the preseason because you get to see players you don't often get to see, and I get that. Especially quarterbacks. Like you would never see Chad Kelly play if it wasn't a preseason matchup like last night. You would never really get a real chance to see what Tyree Jackson looks like if it's not in a setting like last night. My only problem is there's just way too many of them. Way too many. One or two. Two seems to be the right number. I'd rather have one than four, to be honest. But that's my only problem. There's just way too many. We got three more of these things. Three more. Anyone else think the Bills looked ready last night? Let's play the Jets tomorrow. I'm ready. They seem ready. I don't think the Jets were. They they got they got lit up by Daniel Jones last night. Maybe I should give Daniel Jones credit. I, I don't really want to though. He he lost fifty seven to three or whatever to Wake Forest. Just just oh, the college record man. It's so bad. Um, some other interesting stuff did happen around the league. Um, Kyler Murray was really good last night. I mean he, I'm all in on the Cardinals. Not all in. I am at a point where I think the number in Vegas being five and a half for them is really disrespectful. Like it should be higher. 
The offense was dynamic. Kyler Murray last night, if you watched him, like you could just see, he has got zip on every single pass he throws. He moves well. He's always got his feet planted. Like his mechanics are almost perfect. The height's not there. Correct. Everything else is. All of it. The arm strength, the accuracy, the athleticism, the body mechanics. I would anticipate he's going to be really good. He reminds me a lot of Russell Wilson and... I don't know. I think the Cardinals are going to be better than a 5-1 team, which is about where Vegas has them. Um, So he was interesting last night. Daniel Jones did look really good for the Giants, 5-5. There could be... I'm wondering if there's any wiggle room there. Pat Shermer today, uh, Giants head coach, says that he does not see Daniel Jones getting first-team reps this week at quarterback. That's still going to be Eli Manning, who, by the way, went 0-1 and went 3-and-out in his only drive and got booed off the field. Who plays for the Giants against the Bills week two? And all along, I've been thinking it's going to be Eli Manning. It's going to be Eli Manning. But maybe if Daniel Jones does continue to show well, that the Bills will be seeing a rookie quarterback in week two. They'll see Daniel Jones in week two against the Giants, and that could really end up being... that. Like That's the only one this year, the only matchup the Bills play this year, where they have a rookie quarterback on the opposing team, but you might not get to see him. I think they'll play Haskins against Washington, who, by the way, also played last night and he was up and down. That's middle of the year. That's November 3rd. And then Denver, you play later in the year, November 24th. I don't think they're going to be very good at all. By then, I would anticipate they're at Drew Locke. So if that all happens, it still could happen where you don't play any rookie quarterbacks, but it's starting to shape up like you might play three. You might get Daniel Jones week two if he continues to show well. So he was interesting last night as well. 803-0550 is the phone number. One player that you were most impressed with or you're most surprised with last night. You cannot pick Christian Wade. That's too easy. It's way too easy. I mean, one carry for 65 yards. You're not going to beat that. But Daryl Johnson is a guy a lot of people are talking up. I thought he looked pretty good last night. He's huge. I didn't realize he was as big as he is. 6'7", I think, coming off the end. Um, He's threatening Eddie Yarborough to maybe missing the team right now. Receiver, for me, is more confusing than ever with the Bills right now. I get that Andre Roberts has looked good in camp. I get that he is a veteran player with some leadership roles, and he's versatile. He can be a returner. He can play special teams. I don't want him playing wide receiver for this team in any way this year. In a significant role. Like if it's a part-time role. Once in a while. Like Brandon Tate used to do for the Bills. Like if you were in a pinch. You had injuries. Then he had to go in. Fine. Done. Andre Roberts playing significant snaps for you is not good. If you would have told me. Two months ago. That Andre Roberts. On the first preseason game. With everybody healthy. Was going to be playing the third most snaps. With Josh Allen. Because that's what happened last night. He played more snaps than Zay Jones. Only played less than Cole Beasley and uh, and John Brown. I don't even think Robert Foster got in the field with Josh Allen. If you would have told me two months ago that would have been the case with Andre Roberts, I would have told you something's gone horribly wrong. Someone's hurt. Someone's been traded. Duke Williams isn't good at all. David Sills isn't good at all. Like A whole lot of things would have had to gone wrong. Robert Foster not showing up to camp and continuing from what he did last year has been that thing. The only 
scenario where Roberts would have ever got a shot to play wide receiver, a position, by the way, he has not played in years on a, on a consistent basis, would have been if the other guys were not doing their jobs and were not meeting the bar the Bills thought they would meet. And Zay Jones, for me, has been that for three years now. I have never been impressed by him. There's never been one facet of his game that I thought he's been great at. I think he's a good route runner, and I think he's a average at best in about everything else. And I would say below average at this point with his hands, which is something that he was talked about being good at when they drafted him. It's not there. All the drops he's had. A lot of balls that fall through his hands. If you could qualify any catch as a tough catch, he almost never makes it, it seems. So, I'm not very optimistic about his long-term standing with the team right now. I wouldn't say he's going to get cut, but I wouldn't want to rule it out. Robert Foster, same thing. I don't want to say he's going to get cut. He was great last year. But would I rule it out at this point? I don't know what they're going to do with that position. And I hope their plan is not Andre Roberts is the third wide receiver. Or that's where they end up. I think you need to make a trade if that's where you're at. He could be the third best receiver on the team. The the reason I don't like the idea of it is you're playing another player, another player under McDermott and Bean that's getting a significant role that does not have a ceiling, does not have a high ceiling at all. And I will always think about Mike Tolbert for that. It's, it's There's a lot of similarities actually between him and Andre Roberts. They are two guys that when they came into the league, they played a certain position, and to stay in the league, they had to change. After that change... The Bills want to go back to what they came into the league as. There's a reason Mike Tolbert had to start playing fullback with the Chargers and then with the Panthers. There's a reason that he had to switch from running back to fullback. He didn't have the speed. He didn't have the athleticism to main, to keep up at that position. That's why he became a bigger body throughout his career. Did you see him with the Bills? It was a pretty big running back. Why? Because he had been playing fullback. And the Bills decided, oh, he can go back to playing running back. He can do it. We know Mike Tolbert. He's leadership and all that stuff. Veteran presence. And he wasn't able to do it. And they had to pull Travers Cadet off the street halfway through the season because they couldn't put a running back on the field that wasn't LeSean McCoy. And I feel like in a similar way that's what's happening with Andre Roberts. Came into the league as a wide receiver. He played, you know, a good amount at the position for the Cardinals. I think he had a year where he had over 100 targets. 2012, seven years ago, by the way, but 2012, he had 114 targets. He had 64 catches for 759 yards and five touchdowns. Funny, his career at the beginning actually kind of looks like Zay Jones's. A lot of targets, not a lot of catches. 98 targets the year before that. And then what happened to Andre Roberts? 2015, he goes to Washington. 27 years old. Only 21 targets. He goes from the four previous seasons, 73, 76, 114, 98. Suddenly, he goes to Washington, 21 targets. What happened? To stay in the league, Andre Roberts had to become a damn good returner. And he did. Credit to him. He lit up the Bills the last two years. With the Falcons two years ago in that road game the Bills won in Atlanta um, where they only had 10 men on the field in that final play and they got a little lucky. But 
And Tyra, by the way, showed out in that game. Like he had a bunch of big passes to Charles Clay, and what a time that was, by the way. Tyrod, big passes and a road victory in Atlanta to Charles Clay. But that happened. He lit, He had a couple of big returns against the Bills in that game. And then last year against the Jets, he was a handful. I think he had two or three returns in that one against the Bills. So he did well for himself. He stayed in the league by becoming a very good returner. And he became a part-time, at best, receiver. 21 targets, 25 targets, 4 targets with Atlanta, almost no offensive snaps, and then 17 last year for the Jets. A spare part on offense, more of a full-time special teams player. That's what he's been for 4 seasons. And similar to Mike Tolbert, I feel like the Bills, because they're thin at the position... Or really, they're really not thin at the position, though. Like that—that that would be the reasoning for it. He must be really showing out in camp, and I've only seen a little bit off camp, so I can't speak to it completely. But it's another player that they're having play a position that's not really where he's made his money, and I feel like we're doing Mike Tolbert all over again with him, especially. And it really, this one really frustrates me when. Foster's got a big ceiling behind him. I love Isaiah McKenzie. I loved him last year. I've been saying all along I want him on this team. And I feel like he's being pushed out the door because of the amount of bodies and the amount of returners on this team. I mean, yesterday, by the way, they have no problem finding returners. Roberts is very good at it, if not great at it. McKenzie had a great return last night. Victor Bolden is super fast. He had a couple good returns last night. You can't keep all three. McKenzie is the one that it seems like every time the guy hits the field, he's he's getting open. He's creating separation. We saw that last year with him. And I would want to see him on this team, and I don't know. I don't want to call him thin at the position, but Jones might be struggling. Foster has been struggling throughout camp. Sills maybe isn't what they wanted. Duke Williams can hardly get on the field. So if it becomes a circumstantial thing, then I'm not going to get too upset over it. But I see a bunch of young receivers behind Roberts right now on the depth chart that have a vastly bigger ceiling, just because of their age and just because of their some of the, in some cases their draft status. Even Zay Jones, second round pick. Eight oh three oh five fifty is the phone number. What your thoughts on the receiving core, running back core? Players that impressed you last night. We'll hear from Greg Cosell as well. And the Antonio Brown thing. If you got any thoughts on that, hit me up. Because it's nuts what's going on. Is he actually going to retire? Fantasy questions too. I want to dive into fantasy a little bit. It is Friday and it is August 9th. This is draft season. This is like prep season. You probably have your draft coming up in the next few weeks. I am every day looking at average draft position. I'm looking at ADP. I'm looking at updated consensus rankings. I'm looking at where guy who's being traded for what in certain leagues. I'm looking at dynasty rankings, auction. I'm looking at it all. So if you got any fantasy questions, hit me up because I am I I don't usually like to talk fantasy on the nightcap here, but I'm so deep into all of it right now that it, it's go time. Like let's do a little of it. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR.
You saw the energy and excitement, not just of everybody in the stadium, but everybody on the sideline. We had to push everybody off the field so we can kick the extra point. I think he, like, I mean, I was talking to some of the guys. All he's used to is practice. He breaks a long run in practice, he goes straight back to the huddle. So after he scored that touchdown, he was just kind of standing there, and Wyatt Teller had to tell him to get off the field. So, but that just, like, just shows how relatively little he knows about football because he's never played it, but how much he's learning. And like I said, he got the opportunity. He took advantage of it. And I think as time goes on, he's going to be smarter and learn a lot more things. I'll tell you what, the entire team was super pumped for that to happen. It was awesome. Josh Allen. You know, going back, this is going to be the second Brandon Tate reference of the night, which is kind of weird. Um, remember when he did that spin move and everyone was going nuts on the sidelines? I'll, I'll give uh, this Bills regime one thing. When it comes to that, like team unity and team excitement. Chris Brown spoke to this today on One Bills Live on like how if if, uh, if a wife is sick, like one one teammate will bring food over for another one. Like the, the very family oriented atmosphere it seems. Um, that wasn't always the case, especially under past coaches. And I would almost say that certainly seems to be the case under this one. So, you like that. But the, the reason I usually don't like to bring that up a lot is how often is that going to win games for you? It's going to, I think, once you're... That will be important. I just don't think yet. And here's what I mean by that. Think about some of the NBA dynasties in, the, in recent memory. The Warriors. The, uh, the Heat. The Cavaliers. There was always a point... And in the Celtics before that, with Garnett and Allen and Pierce. This seems to happen in the NBA a lot, where... Guys get sick of each other. You know, Durant got sick of the Warriors. He got in a fight with Draymond last year. Like, a big thing that Draymond got suspended for because he shouted, we don't need you, and we won before you were here anyway. That type of stuff. Kyrie Irving wanted out of LeBron. He had grown tired. He wanted his own thing. Um, the Celtics, like, they all they all banished Ray Allen after he decided I'm going to join the Heat. I think that stuff starts to really matter. Like, the unity and all of that, when you're good. I don't think that stuff will make you good. Josh Allen slapping butts, and what was his, what was his comment about uh, high-fiving and slapping butts with teammates? All of that. I don't think that stuff will make you good, but what I do think it could do is, once you are good, that could be the glue that holds it all together for a really long time. So... That is a reason to be optimistic. I just like I said, whenever I'm talking whenever I'm thinking about are the Bills going to be a 10-win team this year? That's not what it is. Now that could make them a 10-win team for more than just one year. I just don't think it will get them to that point on its own. 8030550 is the phone number. I want to change gears a little bit in the uh, second hour, go to do some fantasy stuff, and also Greg Cosell, some film work uh, on the Bills. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Helping you unwind after a long day of work. I think he's kind of a boob. Ken really taking the day south as a person. You can't go out there and be a moron. It doesn't work like that. The Nightcap. We're eating their food. On WGR Sports Radio 550. All right, welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. I'm going to be back in tomorrow as well for Sports Talk Saturday. I'll be here with Nate Geary. We'll be on the air at 11 o'clock. 
recapping some more preseason, looking ahead to the regular season. Some other stuff, too. We got some action tonight. There were two preseason games tonight, and I believe one is already underway. Buccaneers lead the Steelers 7-0 in the end of the first, although I'm sure you don't care too much on what the score is, as opposed to who's actually doing the scoring. Chris Godwin. So you, for you fantasy owners, I'm going to be uh, diving into some fantasy in about 20 minutes here. Jameis Winston has uh, one touchdown pass to Chris Godwin, who is a pretty good sleeper uh, this year. Brashard Perriman also with a catch from Winston, 11 yards. He is a deep, deep sleeper. But keep an eye on him. He is going to be replacing Deshaun Jackson's role uh, in in uh, in Tampa. For the Steelers, they're, uh, they're not playing Roethlisberger, Joshua Dobbs. Not playing James Conner. I don't really think they're playing much of anybody. James Washington, though. He's been really quiet this year in training camp for them. Second round pick last year. He was an idea I liked for the Bills, and he's just not come along at all. Uh, but he has one catch in this game for 43 yards, so maybe he'll carve out a role as a deep threat for Pittsburgh. Before we really dive into some more fantasy and some of the preseason, what's been going around around the league, we did a little of that last hour with uh, Daniel Jones and Kyler Murray. Let's hear from Greg Cosell, who dove into the Bills game last night, looked at all the film. He looked at uh, each player, Tyree Jackson, Josh Allen, Devin Singletary, looked at their snaps, and uh, very good film evaluator. So let's hear a little from Greg Cosell here from earlier today with One Bills Live, Steve Tasker, and John Murphy. Greg Cosell on the line with us. Hello, Greg. You you stayed up all night watching video. You're not complaining about fatigue, are you? Well, I actually went to the Eagles game, but truth be told, I left at halftime. Uh-huh. But I got to tell you guys, there's no whining in football. Come on, <laughs> you guys are tired. What's well, tired at the football season? You're right. You're right. I just um, mentioned to Steve. I I'm not in the, condition. That's all yeah, I can I say. I thought the show has been a little bit disjointed, but we'll, we've got time to pull it together, and we're counting on you to do this for us, Greg. What did you make hey, of the Bills? I'm ready to go, you know? <laughs> what did you make of the Bills' uh, victory preseason game number one last night? What did you take from it? Well, I mean, I watch various things, you know. Uh, look, I'll be totally honest. It's it's hard to watch every single snap of every preseason game. But uh, I watched all of Josh Allen's uh, plays. I watched Devin Singletary. I took a peek at Tyree Jackson because I watched him quite a bit coming out of Buffalo. I obviously wanted to see Ed Oliver. I took a pretty long look at Daryl Johnson because I watched him, believe it or not, when he was at North Carolina A&T, and I really liked him. Uh, and I thought he really flashed. We'll discuss that more. Of course, I watched Voshan Joseph, uh, and then I made it through some other quarterbacks uh, who played around the league. So, so we have a bit to talk about. Where do you want to start? Uh, well, let's start with Daryl Johnson. Yeah. We were talking about him earlier in the show, and you're right. He was seventh round draft pick, and he's been running with the twos or threes in practice. And then he gets in the game against the Colts, and he probably had as a productive day at defensive end as anybody. Steve, you're right, and I, what I did is I just pulled up my notes from when I watched him in North Carolina A&T because I was curious what I said. It's been a long time, and after I watched him with the Bills, I went back and I wanted to see what did I say because I remember liking him, and I said that he was a very intriguing day three prospect with a desirable combination of size, length, and natural quickness, that sometimes he has a tendency to play high, but the baseline traits are there for him to develop into an effective NFL edge rusher. And I think we saw some of that last night. Uh, He showed the strength to both take on blocks and play off contact in the run game. I thought he showed a nice speed to power rush. He used his arms very well. Really good arm extension. 
and lower body drive. Then he showed that counter move, that kind of club swim arm over move, which even though he didn't get a sack on it, it was really effective against the right tackle. The other thing that really stood out to me, and this is really good for a young player, is I thought he played with great discipline in the zone read run game. He really understood his role and responsibility. He didn't chase. He stayed right where he should. He actually made a tackle on that play as well. And there were a number of those plays where he played with great discipline. Yeah, I, I noticed too. And I, of course, I was watching from the broadcast end of it. So when he flashed over, when he made one of the plays he made, um, I, I took notice. He knocked, uh, he got in on a hard kind of a bull rush where he got in and deflected the pass right out of the quarterback's yep. arm, right in the pocket. The sack that he got early on was on a hard uh, move to the inside on a stunt. Uh, with his defensive tackle mate, where he came yes. all the way across from the outside and ran all the way in around the center and still got there. So it was great speed that he made and also a small gap he went through. He just showed athleticism as well as yeah. the ability. He kind of had a nose for where the quarterback was. Yeah, I mean, you're, that stunt, you hit it right on the head. It was a TE stunt, meaning tackle goes first and the end loops around, and he was the end, so he was the looper. But I thought he showed balance and body control. And, you know, in those situations, you know, Steve, when you come hard off the tackle's rear end, so to speak, you know, you have to be able to bend, you've got to have balance, and you've got body can have to have body control to then sort of straighten and close. And he, he really did a nice job with that. I, I was very, very impressed with his performance. It's only one preseason game, Greg, but on Daryl Johnson's seventh-round pick, what could this year's ceiling be for him? I mean, could he be a regular part of the defensive line rotation? Is that what we should look for? Well, look, I'm, I'm one of those believers that you have to be careful about uh, overanalyzing preseason games. Sure. But we're talking about traits. We're not necessarily saying, hey, this is something he's going to do every week from a production standpoint. But I think you guys know he'll get an opportunity because this team is looking for edge pass rushers. I mean, yeah. you know, other than use. Uh, you know, Shaq Lawson has not proven to be that guy, and I don't think he is that guy. Uh, so I think they're looking for another edge player. And, you know, I think once you start getting into camp, and Steve, look, you played a long time in the league. Coaches are not worried about who the first-round pick or the second-round pick is. Right. They're looking for production because their jobs are on the line. And Daryl Johnson's going to get an opportunity to show that he belongs, even if he's a, a sub-package player and plays 20 snaps a game. If he can continue this kind of production with these kinds of traits, he'll get an opportunity. All right. One of the guys that had an opportunity and everybody was kind of waiting with bated breath. You may not care. The coaches may not care who the number one draft pick is, but we do. What'd you think <laughs> right. of Ed Oliver? You know, it's interesting because I thought he had a little bit of a tough time. He, he was matched against Quentin Nelson on a lot of snaps and, uh, you know, he struggled a little bit. Um, look, I think he's at his best off movement, whether he's slanting, whether he's penetrating, he's not built to take on double team blocks, but of course in this league, he's going to have to take on some double team blocks. That's part of being a three technique defensive tackle. So, uh, you know, he's going to have to learn, uh, how to use his hands. He's going to have to be a master technique player to play off strength. Because he's only 200, what, 80, 85 pounds. He's not going to be 310 or 315. So he's going to have to learn how to play with great hand usage and great technique so that he can play off contact. And, be, and Because obviously he's got great athletic ability, but on every play you're not just penetrating into a gap. 
Uh, Greg, uh, we're with Greg Cosell, by the way, executive producer, analyst, NFL matchup on ESPN, talking about some of the Bills' performances uh, last night. And, again, we were talking about the seventh rounder a minute ago, the fifth rounder for Sean Joseph, yes, against twos and threes, but I thought he had good moments last night, the, the Bills linebacker, the selection from Florida. I yeah. thought he played well. Yeah, it'll be interesting how they see him because – He's not a big guy. He's a speed and range guy. He almost has the build of a safety in this particular defense to me. And I don't know how Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier see him. But in this defense, to me, he's essentially in the Matt Milano role. And and I don't think he's going to beat him out. Um, but that's the kind of player. I play. He's a uh, he's a speed range player. He's an explosive athlete. He can play sideline to sideline. You saw some of that movement last night. Uh, there were a couple of times he got caught. He, you know, he didn't read the right thing and was a step behind. That can come with experience. Uh, but to me, that's the kind of player he is. Anybody else about the Buffalo Bills? You said uh, we watched with bated breath a little bit how Josh Allen did, but we also watched Tyree Jackson, the UB kid, the quarterback, big, tall, 6'7". Yeah. He showed, some obviously, his arm strength and some athleticism. Did you see anything else about him? Yeah, he's got a ways to go. I mean, I thought that he dropped his eyes a number of times. I thought he broke down too often when there was no pressure, um, when the read was not defined, you know, his, his primary was not defined. I think he's got a ways to go in the nuances of the position. He made a great throw to McKenzie on the crosser on third and seven, where he hit his back foot, knew where he was going, so he made a great throw. They ran the real nice RPO. He did a nice job with that, where he hit uh, Towbridge for 21 yards. Um, he's a little imprecise with his ball placement. So, you know, I think it's the reason he was a late round pick. You see the size at times you see the arm, he's got movement ability, but I think he, he has a lot of work to do in the details and nuance of the position because ultimately it's a very disciplined craft. And I think he's got a way to go there. Greg, let's go to the number one guy at that uh, position on the depth chart. Josh Allen played a couple of series. Uh, I don't know how much you could get from his performance, but what did you see? What do you take from it? Uh, well, actually, I was more interested in what the Bills did, which I didn't know till I put the tape on, the way they lined up in what we call 10 personnel with one back and four wide receivers a number of times when Josh was in the game. And uh, I thought that was interesting. I don't know. I assume that'll be something they do during the regular season if they feel good about their receivers. They do have a pretty deep core of receivers now, so I'm anxious to see who ultimately makes the team besides the obvious ones. Um you know, the only throw that bothered me, two throws bothered me with Josh. One is he missed um, Zay Jones on, on a curl um, yeah. on, on the first third down, the first yeah. possession. Yeah. And, you know, you got to make that throw. It's a routine NFL throw. He's wide open, and you just got to make that throw. Uh, then he actually came back on third and four on the next possession, and he did hit Jones on the curl, but he was just a beat late, and, and Jones got hammered because of it and you know those can often be incompletions when the defender is allowed to hammer your receiver so you know just the poor ball placement on one third down and being late on another third down I think those are the kinds of things we've talked about that Josh needs to work on with Greg Cosell he is executive producer analyst NFL matchup on ESPN uh talking about last night's Bills game um second we talked about Ed Oliver second round pick Cody Ford had an interesting night he had practiced all week at uh, guard, and last night he played guard and tackle, which I think is a yeah. good sign. The coaching staff obviously feels like they want to see more of him, right? Get him exposure to both, both oh, spots. I, and I thought I liked what I saw. Um, I think in the run game, you know, the way I see it, um, 
my guess is, and again, there's a lot of training camp left and a lot of preseason games. Um, I think with who they started on the right side with Ford at guard and Aseki at right tackle, you guys would know better. But I think that'll probably be the starting right side. Does that seem the way it'll yeah. be to you? It's it's looking like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, because yeah. I think yeah, I think they'll be really good running gap scheme stuff to that side, pulling Spain. Uh, who'll be the left guard, and then letting Ford and Nasecki do the double team blocks. They did that um, I don't, uh, a couple of times with um, uh, when Singletary got in the game. I can't remember if it was Nasecki at that point, but it was certainly Ford at right guard. And you know, I think that with Ford and Nasecki double teaming and in the gap scheme run game, running power counter, I, I think that's a pretty formidable right side there for that kind of run. But I like what I saw from Ford. I thought he was good in the run game. I thought he pass protected well. Uh, you know, again, it's first game. But, uh, you know, I think, I mean, look, this kid is was thought of as a pretty highly rated prospect. I talked to some old line coaches who liked him as well. So uh, I think that's a positive. I, I guess I'm in, interested in why they would look at him at tackle where he had practiced for the first week. And in your opinion, Greg, where do you think his future lies? Tackle, guard, does it matter? Well, he played right tackle at Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe they see him down the road at tackle. Maybe they're uncertain as to Naseki at right tackle. Uh, don't know the answer to that. You know, that's what the rest of training sure. camp is for. Yep. Um, you know, they still have Teller, who played with either the second or and even the third unit. Yep. But last year started six or seven games. So, uh, yeah, maybe they're just trying to figure out. Look, every, every O-line coach will tell you they want to start their best five. Right. So maybe they're just trying to figure out who their best five are and with the feeling that Ford can be part of that either at guard or at tackle. Yeah, well, one of the reasons they're gonna, they want to get their best five uh, on the field is because they're going to have four of the five are going to be new from last year because they couldn't run yeah. the football. They did run the, try to run the football, and one guy who flashed a little bit in the run game for the Bills was their third-round running back, Devin Singletary. Uh, showed some vision, had some pretty nice runs. What do yes. you think of his performance? Yeah, and I thought it was really interesting when he came in. Boy, they they lined up with two backs, two tight ends. They put him in the straight eye formation, and they wanted to see if they could just run with some power. And uh, you know, and, and Singletary, look, we kind of know what he is. I mean, Singletary is he's showed patience. He showed decisive short area burst. He's got elusiveness. He's shifty. Um, I think he's got. I think he runs hard. I don't know if he'll be powerful at the NFL level because of his size, but he runs hard. He's got. He's a slashing style of runner. He's certainly got a downhill mentality. There's no question about that. I thought he caught the ball well too. Yep. Yeah, and I thought that was one question mark coming out of college. He didn't have very many receptions, but uh, no. the Bills have used him, and actually, when they worked him out, that was all they wanted to look at, and he showed uh, an ability to do that. I thought last night. Uh, one other guy I wanted to ask you about was let me guess uh, was Voshan Joseph the safety? Uh, did you get a chance to look at him? You know he played stack backer and uh, he's uh, you know he's a run guy. I mean it'll be interesting to see because he's he's a speed guy. He's a little light. I mean I know I think he was two thirty at the combine. He doesn't look like that on tape. I don't know what he weighs now. You know he has the look of a safety. Uh, but he was basically playing stacked linebacker to the strong side, and uh, uh, you know he didn't I, he didn't make a lot of plays, but you can see the movement. And 
you know, I think that I don't know what his role will be on this team. Uh, I'm not sure he'll play a lot of snaps and, you know, with the defense, he'll probably end up being a special teams player early on. Hey, Greg, uh, let me just take you around the league a little bit. Some of the other uh, notes you make from uh, the first Thursday of the preseason and Daniel Jones, are they ready to anoint him as the next guy for the uh, New York Giants? What did you see last night? What do you think? Well, from what I'm reading this morning, I think it's not just anoint him as the next guy. I think we need the gold jacket at the Hall of Fame. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, but that's the that's what the first preseason game is always all about. You know, we, we, we overanalyze that one. But look, you know, it's so funny watching these first preseason games. Obviously, he was five for five. Um, all five of his dropbacks were defined reads and throws with the route concepts dictating the timing of the, of the drop and the throw. They ran an RPO. He, did a nice job there. They ran a nice post-cross combination. Uh, that was the play that that really said a lot to me about him being coachable because he played almost exclusively from the shotgun at Duke. And a post-cross under center, that's basically a shot play call. And it's play action. And what I really liked about him was um, he snapped his head around really quickly after he turned his back to the defense. And as Steve knows, when you're not used to turning your back to the defense as a quarterback, that's something you've got to work on. That's a learned trait. And he snapped his head around, and he made a great throw. And then the, the touchdown pass to Fowler, which uh, we're looking at right now, was, again, it was a, basically it was red zone cover two. It's a high-low read concept. And he made a great, great throw into the corner of the end zone on the corner out. Well, one last guy I've got to ask you about. He's maybe the most intriguing rookie in the league, seeing as how so much rides on his shoulders is Kyler Murray. I watched a yeah. little bit of that game. I didn't see him play. I got to the game very late in, or late in the second half, and he was out. But I did see the highlights that they were running during the broadcast. What did you see about his performance, and what's it going to look like, that offense, with Kyler Murray at quarterback? Well, it's funny because they didn't do anything with Cliff Kingsbury that you went, oh, my God, look at that. They just ran what everybody runs in the NFL. He threw a bunch of speed outs versus bailed cover three. Those are just timing and spot throws. He made those throws. They ran a screen to David Johnson, um, which they obviously they're not calling it against a specific coverage, but they got the coverage that made the play work. Uh, so it, it was a nice gain. He's showed the ability to escape pressure, get outside the pocket, make second reaction throws. They got him outside on boot, as we're looking at right here. You'll see a lot of that. Those are well-defined throws, again, with a high-low element. Um, here's the screen that I was talking about. They ended up getting man coverage, so they just had to block the guy who, who was covering David Johnson. So, you know, they, they kept it really simple. I mean, what you're hoping in these preseason games for young quarterbacks, Steve, you know this, is you're just looking to see them execute so they come away with success and not failure. One more quarterback to ask you about, Greg, before I let you go. Baker Mayfield seems to have a sense of uh, maybe the expectation level in Cleveland because he came out on fire last night, right? Opening drive for the Browns. Uh, what I like most about Baker Mayfield, and this is, and I, I believe this is very important, uh, Hey, and, and Steve would know this with, with Jim Kelly, I mean, I think that you have to have a turn-it-loose aggressive mentality to play quarterback in this league. And I think Baker Mayfield, that's built into his DNA. He, he turns the ball loose. The touchdown pass he threw to Higgins was a great, great example of that. It was a tight window on the seam throw versus zone. You know, And say what you want about Baker Mayfield. He's aggressive. Uh, he believes in himself. I think that's in his DNA. That's the way he plays. Uh, he's going to make throws. 
And I think to be a great quarterback in this league, I'm not I'm talking about a great I don't turn, use that term loosely. And I'm not saying he's great now. But I think that to be that you have to have an aggressive mindset. It has to be part of your persona. And you, you've got to make tough, difficult throws when the situation demands it. You know, Greg, I don't know, maybe it's the Christian Wade run here in Buffalo and maybe it's just the Bills victory. I try to keep my emotion in check, but I, I feel good about the Bills and the rest of the NFL too. There's a lot to like about the first preseason games, weren't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's football. It's, yeah. you know, again, I, I try to keep it under control. So you know, I. I look for traits. I look for why guys play well. I think coaches are more interested in these preseason games and in evaluating individual players. Obviously, they're playing their schemes and their techniques that they've been teaching, but they're not hardcore game planning against an opponent per se. So they're really looking at individual players. Uh, that, to me, is the fun of it. You know, obviously, I focus a lot on quarterbacks. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's what I think the preseason is for, evaluating players. And fans should realize there's not 20 spots up for grabs on teams. You know, as Steve knows, what are there, Steve, five to seven spots that are really up for grabs? Not me. I'm making rash judgments and snap decisions based <laughs> on everything I saw yesterday. And I've got so, – I'm pretty sure – And I like that. I like to I'm just, pretty sure I, I know what's going to happen. Go just look at one play and make your judgment. That's right. I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah, there you go. We'll talk again soon. Thank you, Greg. Thanks, Greg. All right, guys. Talk to you. There he is, Greg Cosell. As always, I told you, good stuff. Now we'll switch to fantasy and even a little bit on the Bills. John Brown, Cole Beasley. Last night is really the first real indication, I think, of where you can expect to draft or where to see these Bills receivers drafted and running backs even for that matter. Actually, no, running back you really still don't know. But receiver... I think there's a very clear pecking order on where those guys should be drafted. And I'll take a stab at the running backs before we get to some around the league stuff. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks for listening. 803-0550 for your Bills calls and also your fantasy questions right here on WGR. I think just time out on the field together. You know, we stay after practice and we talk through some stuff uh, every day, run, run a couple extra routes. And I think that those little things like that, uh, just talking the same language and seeing the defense the same way. He has a unique ability of seeing the defense like a quarterback and not many receivers can do that. So it's a nice luxury to have. That is Jimmy Garoppolo talking about his wide receivers in San Francisco. That's one of many positional groups around the NFL that are very hard to decipher uh, for fantasy. Uh, the Bills are one right here. Receiver, running back. I think receiver got a little clearer last night. So if you really dive in and you look at the snap counts. Sal has it on his Twitter if you want to see the snap counts, like with Josh Allen especially. That's uh, at Sal Sports. You look, Allen played 18 snaps. Okay. Brown played 17. Now, he only got, I think, two targets. He made one catch. Maybe it was only one target. He made one catch. But he was on the field. Beasley, a couple of targets. I think there was another catch he made that maybe was called back from penalty. He was on the field for 13 of the 18. Then there's Andre Roberts and then Zay Jones and then nothing really from Robert Foster. Ray-Ray McLeod got a couple. So, fantasy-wise, Bill's receivers has been one positional group around the league that's been one that you want to try to decipher kind of like San Francisco Garoppolo's talking there the difference is I think in San Francisco you can know that you're going to get a pass happy offense 
with a quarterback that's at least reasonably good. I think Allen's ceiling is certainly higher than Garoppolo's, but Garoppolo, I think you can know, like, he's going to throw the ball 30, 40 times. There'll be volume, at least. And Debo Samuel's there in San Francisco. Jalen Hurd is a good young rookie. Dante Pettis in his second year. There's guys. Here, there's guys, too. But the fact that Andre Roberts is right now the third receiver, seemingly, or he's at least in that position... I would have to say that makes it a lot easier to draft these guys. Brown is clearly the top guy you are drafting right now. 100%. If you're picking a Bills receiver in a fantasy draft tomorrow, a lot of you are going to have him tonight. Maybe you're having one right now. Maybe tomorrow is your draft. Maybe next week. But like this is prime draft season coming up. Brown is the number one Bills receiver off the board. This is a vertical offense. He is maybe the fastest player on the offense. He's going to stretch the field, and he's also good enough where he's not a one-trick pony. He's balanced and that he can run over the middle of the field. He can get you some receptions that way too. Now, what is he? What is his ceiling in fantasy? That all depends on Josh Allen. And I think a re, if you are a believer that Allen's going to take a, take a leap forward, I'm talking about a step. I'm not talking about a Trubisky-type step. I'm talking about a leap 30 touchdowns through the air. If you think Allen has that season in him, you're drafting Brown a lot earlier than drafting a lot of guys because he's the only real sure thing volume-wise that you know Allen's going to use. Even Beasley, you know he's going to be on the field, but we really can't know Allen's going to use that type of player until we really see it because he never used that type of player last year, even though he didn't really have it. He never used that type of player in college. So how do we know he can do it, and how do we know he will do it? There's question marks around Beasley, and at the end of the day, a slot receiver in fantasy like that, a possession guy with not much yardage, not a lot of uh, touchdowns at the end of the year. PPR, yes, that'll be nice, but otherwise, you're not seeing much upside there. Brown, on the other hand, big plays, touchdowns, I mean, big yardage games. That's There's a big ceiling there, and he's the number one guy right now. Now, if you want to go past that, I think Beasley's got to be two just because you know he's got a role um, on the field. Whether he'll get targeted or not, we don't know. But he'll be on the field. Roberts, you're never touching. No no chance ever. There's no ceiling there. That is not a guy that's going to be like, oh, he could get 1,000 yards this year. There's just no way it's happening. So you're not touching him. Zay Jones, I would take a hit after last night. Maybe he gets cut. Probably not, but maybe. Hand problems. He gets targeted a lot, I'll tell you that. Five targets last night led the team. 101 targets last year, only like 56 catches. Whatever it is about Zay Jones, he gets targeted a lot and only catches about half of them. And actually less than half for his career. That's not great. So, if it came down to it, even though he's not had a good training camp, and even though he might be more likely to be cut than Jones, I would take Foster above Zay Jones right now. If I'm taking a flyer on a guy like that at end of a draft, I'm still taking Foster. I'm still doing it. Think about it this way. Robert Foster started, what, eight games last year? Let me sure I get the right number there. I think it was eight games last year. Just towards the end, not even. Started three games. Well, that's a surprising number. Maybe he was, he was on the, he played 13, but he started three. 44 targets. He had about five fantasy games last year where he was just a stud. Three catches for 105 against the Jets. Two catches for 94 and a touchdown against the Jags. 
Seven catches for 104 against the Jets again. Own the Jets. Four catches for 108 and a touchdown against the Lions. I'll even throw in there four catches for 21 yards and a touchdown against Miami. It's not a lot of yardage. That's still a great fantasy day. PPR? I mean, you're talking about 12 points there. It's a good fantasy day. So, think about it. That is five. We'll, we'll even give them four. Four or five great, good to great fantasy performances in about half a season of real action. Zay Jones, two years in. Very touchdown dependent. We know he doesn't break those big plays like Foster does. He doesn't catch enough of his targets to be a PPR guy. So really, he's become a touchdown dependent player if you want to look at him in fantasy. And they don't come often enough. I mean, seven is a good number. For him to have seven touchdowns last year, that's a good number. But we are not talking about a guy, I think, that has the type of upside that we've seen on the field to make him deserving to be picked. And I'm never, I've never been a big fan of his game, so I'm a little biased in that respect. Bias, I guess, in that I don't like him as a player. I don't even know if that's bias, biasy, but I mean, I'm just not seeing it with him. Last year, I would say Jones, Zay Jones, maybe had, let's see, he had five double-digit fantasy games in 16 starts. So double the games that Foster really had a role in, and the same amount of productive fantasy days. I think that's what he is. I think he's a guy that doesn't really have a high ceiling. I don't see it. I don't see he has to be great at something to have a high fan to have a high ceiling. Foster, you know he's fast and he's got size, but you know he's blazing. He's got blazing speed. So that's something he's great at. John Brown, you know he's got blazing speed and actually a great catch radius for his size. Cole Beasley, you know he gets separation off the line of scrimmage. Like it's nobody's business. Especially if it's like a linebacker or safety in there. He's just owning them. What is Zay Jones great at? What is it? I mean, he he didn't he was setting all kinds of records in college. But what are they for? East Carolina. I know he went to a smaller school. But I, whatever got him drafted in the second round over guys like Kenny Galladay and obviously Juju Smith-Schuster, um, Chris Godwin, like these these really good receivers that have roles in the NFL. I don't know what it was that the Bills thought they had to trade up to go get this guy, but I haven't seen it yet. And it does happen where a guy can explode in his third year, but it's not that it's not that often that that, that happens that way. Usually when guys are good, they show it or they at least flash it pretty immediately. And I don't know if we've ever seen a flash from Zay Jones. When has he ever flashed what he's great at? That's what makes me think he's not great at, not really truly great by NFL standards at anything when it comes to the receiver position. Now, is he one of the, the Bills' best four receivers? I would still say yes to that. Especially with Foster having a tough camp. He should start. He should absolutely be starting over Andre Roberts. 100%. I don't care what kind of camps they're having. I'd rather have Zay Jones having a role in this offense. Let's find out once and for all what we've really gotten him. Rather than prolonging it by having a kick, kick returner play snaps because you think he's a little bit better at it. And that might even that's usually a maybe. Now, other fantasy stuff that's kind of going on right now, like and you might be wondering about Antonio Brown. There are certainly people with drafts tomorrow, as I mentioned, and tonight. And what do you do with Antonio Brown? Because this is fresh and this is scary. You do not 
want to draft him where he's going, where he's been going. I think the last I looked, he was going at the end of the first round, if not in the beginning of the, more, probably more so the beginning of the second round. And if that's the case, you are not touching Antonio Brown there. Not at all. There are three players now that were going at top, the tops of drafts that I don't think you can go near where their ADP is. Ezekiel Elliott today is still going as the number four player in fantasy. Now that gap between four and five is shrinking. DeAndre Hopkins is rising boards, rising up boards. David Johnson is rising up boards. Elliott, all the reporting on him that he could sit out a year, especially, I, I know people who had Le'Veon Bell last year won't make this mistake, but if you are out there and you're thinking about drafting Elliott in the first round of your fantasy draft, maybe even the early second round, do me a favor. Find the person from your league that had Le'Veon Bell last year and ask them if they would draft Elliott. Because that can that can be a grenade on your season before it even gets going. And I would even throw Gurley in this to some extent. That knee issue, those are four players that are we're going first round that you just I don't think you want to touch them, especially when there are so many good receivers this year. Running backs a little bit thinner. Um, but there are so many good receivers. Like how many receivers would you be comfortable being your number one guy? I would go all the way down to T.Y. Hilton. He's going as receiver 12 right now. Amari Cooper I'd be comfortable with. He's the receiver 13. About maybe Stephon Diggs, wide receiver 14. Like That's about where I wouldn't be comfortable with the guy being my number one receiver. Whereas running back, the way that's been going, I mean, <laughs> Melvin Gordon's going as number 12 right now. I'm not comfortable with that. Not Damian Williams. I am not really with Delvin Cook because of all of his injuries. Guy can't stay on the field. Nick Chubb. That'd be it for me. There's 10 running backs I think I'd be comfortable with, and you got to pick him at 18th as opposed to you can get Amari Cooper 34th. So especially when it comes to running back on this, I would say don't touch the guys where they're being drafted right now that have the have the playing concerns. Elliott, if he's there in the third round, take him. Gordon, if he's there in the fourth round, take him. If Antonio Brown, now this is where this dif- differentiates, if you get to your draft and there's nothing new on him, it is, he, if he doesn't get a new helmet, he's not playing football again. I don't think I'm touching him until probably like the seventh round. And I doubt that you'll ever get him there. Because someone will always do it. Someone will always take the risk. But that's scary, man. I, you, it's hard to know what that guy is thinking at all. Almost similar to Le'Veon Bell last year. It transpired to... All right, he's just going to miss camp too. Okay, he's just going to miss preseason too. Okay, is he going to miss regular season games? And then it was, oh, he's only going to miss a couple regular season games. And then it's, is he going to miss the whole season? And then it's, oh, he'll be back by week 10 because there's no reason for him to be to, to miss more than that. And he still wasn't back. You just didn't know Le'Veon Bell's real motivation the whole time. You thought it was money, but if it was just money, he would have been back week 10, and he wasn't. Why wasn't he? Because it ran deeper with him. And you really don't know what's going on with Brown right now. You don't even know, by the way, health-wise, what's going on with his feet, with the frozen feet, the uh, the cryotherapy thing that happened with him. And his motivation right now, you got a guy who, in an interview two months ago, was talking about if he walked away from the game right now, he'd be fine with it. And none of us thought twice about that when he said it two months ago because we just didn't think it was possible he'd ever retire. He's 30. He's still at the top of his powers. He's got a monster contract. You would have never thought that guy's retiring. But 
when you look back and you listen back to Brown, and I'll play that back in the next segment, him talking about, I could walk away from the game right now. I'd be fine. You hear that. You listen to that back. Now that, as childish as it might be, he now has a reason to walk away from the game. I almost don't even want to mention that because it's such a stupid reason. But if they got a reason, then I don't know. I don't think you can touch him. I'd be terrified not knowing what's going to happen. I'd be terrified even if he comes back. Something makes him mad week four and he's gone. I don't know how you could trust a player like that on your fantasy team. So my advice to you would be do not touch Antonio Brown until like the seventh, eighth, ninth round. That's when you're getting down to players like you're taking you're taking a flyer at sometimes in those rounds anyway, like Devin Funchess and um Deion Lewis, like backups. Like once you get to that territory, go for it. Shoot for it. But don't pass on any type of sure thing, I think, for a guy that you just have no idea what's gonna happen. 8030550 is the phone number. We'll take a couple of your fantasy questions on the other side of the break and we'll get out of here. I got a quick boxing thing. There was some news today on an Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz rematch. If you're not familiar with those names, that's uh remember about a month ago there was a giant upset in boxing with the the over the uh you know, the guy who's not quite in shape knocked out the Olympic physical specimen in Anthony Joshua. That was about a month ago. Um yeah, they made they made an agreement for a rematch, and it's in a really, really strange location that nobody saw coming. I'll tell you what that is if you're interested boxing-wise, and also some fantasy questions on the other side, too. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. Thanks for listening here on WGR. Welcome back. Last call on the Nightcap. If you got any last thoughts you want to get in, 803-0550 is the number. So... Not no offense to anybody. I just didn't see any uh, fantasy questions that were worth, I thought, uh, mentioning on the air. I answered them to you on Twitter and on the text line, so if you're looking for them there. But uh, they, they seem pretty straightforward, so I'm just going to dive right into the last couple minutes here into the rematch of Anthony Joshua and Andy Ruiz. So if you missed the me setting up the background for it, Anthony Joshua was the heavyweight champion, one of the three. That's why I hate boxing. Or this is why boxing is annoying. Um... One of the three heavyweight champions, like the the guy, undefeated, looks like a Greek god. I mean, he is he is a specimen of an athlete, Olympic medalist, unbelievable. Knocked out the legendary uh, Klitsch, Vladimir Klitschko to send him into retirement to win when he was young, and he is like a heavy, heavy, heavy favorite. Against a guy who was being, I mean, I, I said he was like a Walmart employee. Like, this guy was, a, by all accounts, a bum by uh, boxing standards. Like, he was actually a like, very good record. He only had one loss. And looking back, you know, it was just ignorance. I didn't really know who he was. Uh, and he didn't really look like a guy that could ever beat Anthony Joshua. He's out of shape. Um, he's small. Short arms. And the guy goes in there, and he's got hands like lightning, like super fast hands. And I'm sure that surprised Joshua, and he beats him. And now this guy's the heavyweight champion. The rematch, because there's a rematch clause. It's generally what happens when like a very accomplished fighter fights a, a, a lower level guy that he gets the uh, he gets an automatic rematch clause. So if by chance he does lose, then he gets an automatic rematch, no questions asked. 
So this happens. Joshua enacts the rematch clause. Now they got to find a location. And Joshua wants it to be in England. He's from there. He came over for one fight in the U.S. and he lost it. So he probably thinks there's some bad, uh, bad voodoo over here or something. So he wants to go back to England. And Ruiz, who is uh, of Mexican heritage and is from the United States, says, well, I want the fight to be here or I want it to be in Mexico. Fair enough. You won. You're the champ. That should be where it is, right? Joshua's like, no, I'm not going there. And this is why boxing kind of is annoying also because they can never agree on stuff like that. Until today, this fight is going to happen and it's going to happen December 7th and it's going to happen in Saudi Arabia. What are you doing? Boxing? You're going to Saudi Arabia for one of the biggest heavyweight fights that you can make? I mean, this is what is kind of wrong with the sport. There's only so many big fights you can make and to put one on the other side of the world, and it's going to be probably fought at like noon Eastern time, so that if anyone, like, that usually, like, you know, you get people over for a big fight, if anyone still does that anymore, I know I do it, then you're not going to really have that opportunity. You can go to lunch and watch it, I guess, but who's the fun in that? It kind of sucks. And plus all the political reasons to not go to Saudi Arabia to do that. The WWE came in under fire for doing an event there. They were paid big money to do it, but there were a hun- there were tons of reasons that it's just a- it was almost offensive for them to go do that event. And here's boxing. They're just right in there with them saying, I don't care. We're going for the money, and that's that's really all we care about. And this is kind of why you need some sort of legislative uh you need some sort of legislative force that's making all this stuff happen in boxing that makes it right for fans which there's no there's nobody doing that um real quick last i want to do one last uh, fantasy question because i got a good one in the text line keeper question he can keep three picks from the 12 spot Ertz in the third round darnold in the 14th round connor in the 11th geist in the 10th calvin ridley in the ninth or dj moore in the eighth is a very easy one for me um, I think you're all well, it's three not just one it's 100% going James Conner that's the easiest one James Conner in the 11th is about as good as it's going to get I'm taking Ertz in the third I know it's a little high but one of the best tight ends I want to lock that in and then I would honestly go with Calvin Ridley in the ninth I'm worried DJ Moore is not going to be their number one target in Carolina Curtis Samuel's getting a lot of hype so I'd be worried about that Ridley yes the number two receiver in Atlanta but I think he is a stud and I can very well see him uh I could very well see him being a thousand yard, eight, nine touchdown receiver for the Falcons this year. They throw the ball enough to suffice that. Carolina does not. All right, that's it for me tonight. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'll, like I said, I'll be back on tomorrow for Sports Talk Saturday with Nate Geary. We'll get going at 11 a.m. sharp, and we'll be on until 2. So for some Bills talk, maybe a little fantasy, tune in for that. This has been the Nightcap with Joe DiBiase. I'll be back for this show on Monday. Until then, see you then. This has been the Nightcap on WGR.